Today's programming is in partnership with French 22 Design and Creative Strategy, a design studio focused on brand development and creative strategy aimed at connecting with people who are committed to social impact. For more, visit www.french22.com. Allow French 22 to find purpose in your project today at www.french22.com. That is F-R-I-N-G-E 22.com. For sneak peeks of their work, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at French 22 Studio. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. I'm your host, Laurel Gurrier. Today's story is a story about loss. It highlights the importance of informed consent, the medicalization of birth, and infant maternal mortality. From this loss, the Tasha Oden French Memorial Foundation was established. It is dedicated to empowering women, specifically in the area of childbirth and pregnancy, dedicated to saving the lives of those giving life to others. Here to share Tasha's and her family's story and the mission and work of the Tasha Oden French Memorial Foundation Foundation is Tasha's mother, Maddie Oden. Hello, Maddie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Laurel. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Um, So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Myself. Well, I'm pretty old. And (laughs) I've been active in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you know, in um, a lot of different anti-movements, the anti-war movement being Vietnam, um, the anti-apartheid movement being South Africa, the civil rights movement, Friends of the Black Panther Party, um, a lot of different, basically, all of the human struggles in the U.S. and internationally, some international struggles um, that are present in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um My family, I have two boys and my daughter, Tasha. Uh, They both um, are doing pretty well. My oldest son uh, has his own engineering company, and my youngest son is a consultant and travels a lot. I have eight grandkids um, and one great-grandchild. And currently, well, since my daughter died in 2001 and since 2000. Three when the when I formed the Tasha Oden French Memorial Foundation, which is a nonprofit, um, I've been the executive director of the foundation and also currently a doula, working with midwives and in hospitals, home births, birth center births, any place people are giving birth. Yeah, she's busy, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about Tasha's pregnancy? Um, actually, no, there's not a lot to tell. Okay. It was basically a, a perfect pregnancy. Um, if there is such a thing, she had no mitigating, um, health issues. The baby had no health issues. She was very healthy. Uh, she had been a vegetarian for probably 15, 18 years before she got pregnant. Um, so she was very much only into organic foods, organic things, clothes, whatever, um, and so it was pretty what they call unremarkable. Mm-hmm. No high blood pressure, no gestational diabetes, no anything. And the baby was very healthy. And she went full term. In fact, she went 10 days past her due date. 
which was when they decided to induce her. Got it. And do you know, was there anything that she had done to prepare for birth or? Yeah, she did everything um, that she possibly could. She read everything she could. She watched natural birth movies. She um, interviewed a lot of different OBGYNs. Mm -hmm. Um, She uh, asked questions of everybody. She was very much into looking at labels to see you know, uh, how it would affect the pregnancy or the baby or breastfeeding. She had just uh, maybe a year before that uh, finished a Ph.D. program in psychology and she was going to school to pre-med school to um, be a doctor. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things as a doula, like she had done everything right. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. And, and was very much informed and very much looking forward to having a natural labor with yeah. no interventions, no drugs, walking around doing different positions, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, can you tell us about Tasha's birth? Um, well, it wasn't very long. Um, they kept calling her in because she was post-date. She actually... Uh, she was due like on the 15th mm-hmm. and uh, she didn't want to have the baby until my son came home with his family. They were overseas. Mm-hmm. And so he came home um, on the 21st of December and, um, you know, the baby still wasn't ready to come mm-hmm. or according to the baby. So, but according to the doctor, since she was post-dates, um, the baby was ready, and so they kept sending her in for a stress test, mm-hmm. and they kept uh, trying to get her to induce her labor. She kept avoiding them and putting them off. And then finally, I guess it was uh, 13 days after, or two weeks, it was 14 days um, after her due date, she finally went in for a stress test, and they ended up keeping her, and they told her they were they were going to induce her. So she went in, she's a very strong minded, strong willed person. And mm-hmm. she went in basically thinking she would just do what she had been doing, which is putting them off, um, you know, because she really didn't want to be induced. Yeah. And uh, they were very insistent. They even told her, well, you don't want to go home with a dead baby, do you? And of course, that kind of throws off somebody who's right, not even slavery yet. Absolutely. And, um, you know, pushed her over the edge into finally agreeing to get induced. And I asked them. I mean, she was she was doing all the things that, as a doula, you know, or a midwife or a good OB, mm-hmm. you know, you tell your mom to do when they're in labor, especially first labors, which are usually longer, which yeah. is eat, drink fluids, and all of this. And so um, she was eating a sandwich, sneaking it every time the nurses would leave <laughs> and drinking a lot of liquids, et cetera. And um, uh, she basically gave in to them and I asked them what they were going to induce her with. And she, they said Cytotec. And I had three natural births with no drugs. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know anything that I know now, basically. Yeah. Um, and so they said, well, they literally said, well, it's perfectly safe. We use it all the time. And um, that 
I mean, the whole situation in 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 retrospect was really eerie mm-hmm. as it was progressing because usually I ask a lot of questions if I don't understand something and there's thousands of things I don't understand. And um, I didn't ask any questions and she didn't ask any questions, which was also pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she, she knew apparently that it wasn't approved by the FDA for labor and delivery because she had been told that in one of her childbirth classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but she agreed to it anyway because they said it works faster. So, and it's used, of course, to soften the cervix and uh, induce contractions. Mm-hmm. And so she told us all to go away. And that was like probably five or six o'clock in the afternoon. And um, so I went home, which is pretty much around the corner from the hospital. And at four o'clock in the morning, we hadn't heard anything. And, but I woke up and I kind of sensed something was wrong. And then about 10 minutes after I woke up, my son-in-law had called and said, you have to come back to the hospital. They're going to do an emergency C-section. And so I did. Um, And then there was a whole thing around that because they wouldn't let me up to the labor and delivery floor. Um, But anyway, eventually, of course, I got up there. And by the time I got up there, she had already passed and the baby had passed. And um, what happened was the cytotech caused an ambiotic fluid embolism. And because of the way that they weren't watching her um, like they should have been, if you're going to if you're going to go down a cytotech road, you need to watch the mom really, really carefully, because Mm -hmm. like with her, it can turn around in a minute because she her contractions were not obnoxious or hard or anything with the first dose. And then the second dose took them a little while. But literally after they gave her the first dose, 10 hours after they gave her the first dose, she she died and and the baby died um so that was that was the birth yeah such as um, you know i did not um know a lot about induction methods until after my daughter was born and i started my birth work as a doula and i think about um you know one of the things that's that's really important, and I think when you become a doula, like you realize this is just like time for families to process and think about everything that's going like that is said to them. Um, and when you already walk into a situation where someone's threatening you that your baby's going to die, your mindset is we got to get baby out. So I don't like okay. I, I think about you know them giving you options and you not like and you just being like we just got to get baby out and not even being able to ask questions or what to right. ask um it just really like doesn't give families the power to to make any decisions when you've already set up an environment like that right and also with in, with inductions um unless Usually, and this is with a doula there mm-hmm. or a support person who's very, um, no, we're having a natural birth insistent. Um, people usually don't ask questions or that's at least what I've found, you know, mm-hmm. with, with my clients. And um, so, so the medical people, especially in the hospital, this doesn't happen with at least the midwives I deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't give you the risks, the benefits and the no. alternatives. No, they just go. We're going to induce you, and and you have to say, well, what are you going to induce me with, right? right. And then right. they say, well, blah 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 blah, right? Right. Um, 
And even even when you ask questions, they just give you the paid political announcement Mm -hmm. and it doesn't give you any of the risks. Right. Um, You know, they're just totally okay. Well, it works really fast. We use it all the time and it's perfectly safe, you know, or whatever. Um, And you have to be the one as the mom. Um, because you can't do it as a doula because they have to speak for themselves. So the education piece has to be done beforehand. Right. Absolutely. You know, or you have to be able to say, well, let's step back a minute. Can you give us a minute? Can you just go away? Yeah. Let's think about it. Yeah. But then you, I mean, you bring a really great point that most care providers aren't and should be like, if you're practicing correctly, like you should be practicing under informed consent, which means that you're giving those risk and benefits, whether it, like you're spinning it out really fast or you're taking your time either way, that's your job to actually perform the way you're supposed to perform. And they're not doing yeah. that. And no, exactly. <laughs> and for exactly. people who haven't been able to do that education piece before you're asking families to do a lot of work, like they're in a very vulnerable state, but now I have to like also do the work of my care provider who I'm supposed to trust. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. And you need to have an informed consent piece of paper with your signature on it. And with all, with my clients, like very few of them have been given cytotech, but the ones that have been given cytotech, I've never seen a piece of paper or been told that they signed a release saying that they were given all the information, including mm-hmm. the risks, the benefits, and the alternatives. Never. They don't do that. It's yeah. just like, well, this is our drug of choice and this is what we're going to use. They don't do it with it. That, you know, with epidurals, they do because that's a process, mm-hmm. you know, and because they're dealing with your spine, I guess they figure it's more um, susceptible to things going wrong, like mm-hmm. the needle not being in the right place or, you know, whatever. So they have you sign something and they, I mean, they take more time, you know, when they do an epidural, it takes not just putting it into the, you know, the spinal sheet, but but just giving you all the instructions on what they're going to do and blah, blah, blah. And while you're in the middle of contractions. Exactly. So it's like, why can't you do that for the other piece? Right. (laughs) Right. It just, it really, it is mind boggling to me because a lot of us, you know, our goal is trusting, like, like we're trust, like, this is what you've gone to school for. This is what you've been practicing. I'm trusting that you're going to take care of me. So if you tell me something, I'm okay. Yes, that makes sense to me because it's coming from someone who like, this is your job. Right. Um, Yeah. So um, from that, you know, what were next steps? Because um, clearly the, the Tasha Oden French Memorial Foundation was created. But, you know, after um, Tasha's death, like what happened? What what ticked for you after that? Well, I just I remember um, walking out of the emergency room after, you know, they had taken her away. Um, and I heard myself say this drug is going away. And so the next steps were really literally they were almost unconscious in terms of um, what to do. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, was working for a city government then, and so I was pretty familiar with, because of the role I played in my job, uh, with, you know, contractors and policies and government and layers and all of this kind of stuff. So um, the first thing I did was try to find out 
uh, about Cytotech and and reading it. And my son-in-law was a big help in this too, Tasha's husband, mm-hmm. um, because his dad was a doctor. And so he had even actually more access and was much more familiar. I didn't even have a computer at home at that point. Yeah. You know, Googling, blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, um, he actually found the safe motherhood quilt that Ina Mae Gaskin had put together, which is um, in memory of all the women who have died in childbirth that she knows of. Mm-hmm. And she would make a square or the women at the farm um, would make a square uh, in honor of the woman that had died, or in some cases, like Tasha's, the women and the babies. And they would contact uh, the family mm-hmm. and say, well, would you like to make a square? This is what they do. I mean, there was various ways that Ina May um, found out um, about the women that had died mm-hmm. during childbirth. And so he found out about her and the quilt and he called me and he said, here's the link, you know, call this lady and see if you can make a, cause I used to sew, yeah. see if you can make a square for Tasha. So I called her and I talked to her, um, not so much about the square. I mean, they gave me all of the, the details of the square, the length and blah, 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 yeah. blah. But, um, just more so about, you know, death during childbirth. And so I was going to make it. And after a couple of months, I called her up and I said, you know, I can't, I can't make this. And she said, okay, don't worry about it. You know, we'll do it. And so about a year or so went by and, um, she came to my house and she said, well, I made this square and I want to show it to you. And it was really incredible because I hadn't told her really anything about Tasha. Mm -hmm. Um, but she had a piece, she knew she was African-American and she had a piece of, of, um, fabric from Ivory Coast that she did the design on. And it was just, and the colors and everything were totally what Tasha would have picked. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was like perfect. And, um, she subsequently both Ina May and Marsden Wagner became members of the board of the foundation and were incredibly, just unbelievably helpful um, in, you know, uh, helping me focus on what direction I should go. And because they had been doing this for so long, um, you know, uh, were very, very anxious to support me in efforts to deal with the FDA because I was trying to figure out, okay, how do you get a drug that's used off a label, you know, taken out of the induction toolbox and have people know what it does. I mean, both of them had written many, many articles um, on Cytotec. And, you know, so they were very well aware of of what it does. They had been doing it, fighting the Cytotec induction for, well, at least five or six years, probably longer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I first met them and they started helping the foundation Anyway, we, after that, um, I asked Ina May if the quilt, cause she brought a couple of sections of the quilt and I asked her if she ever took the quilt, you know, around to different cities. And she said, oh yeah, all the time. And I said, well, would you bring it to Oakland? And she said, sure. Um, you know, you just need to find a place. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I started thinking about that. And she said, well, why don't you call the mayor who at that time was Jerry Brown Mm -hmm. and I didn't know the mayor, but I knew that, you know, that was one of the ways to go. And I said, okay. So the next day I got on the phone and I called the mayor's office and 
um, just serendipitously ended up with his top administrative assistant. And um, he said, okay, well, because I asked him if the mayor would allow us to, you know, hang the quilt in City Hall Mm -hmm. and, you know, do some type of event around it. And he said, Jerry Brown, who likes um, to highlight controversy and still does, actually, um, he said, well, I'll ask him, you know, if, uh, you know, if he would help sponsor an event like that. So he did, asked him, and about three days later, he called me up and he said, okay, well, where do you want to have it? And I'm like, whoa, okay. And then I had to start (laughs) thinking about places. The out of my mouth just came the Oakland Museum, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's an incredible place. And they have an auditorium that holds about 300 people and a stage and lighting and all of this and AV stuff. But it's very expensive. Yeah. And we didn't have any money. So I said, um, well, how about the Oakland Museum? I mean, it, it was stuff just coming out of my mouth. He said, OK, I'll ask him. So then he comes, calls me back a couple of days later and he says, OK. You have the Oakland Museum. I said, really? And then I was trying to figure out, okay, now who would I call, right? <laughs> but, and, and Jerry Brown, through his discretionary fund, covered all of the expenses at the museum, including parking and entrance and everything. Yeah. So it was incredible. Anyway, so we had that event, which was very well attended by probably 150 people. And um, Marsden spoke and Ina May spoke and we had the quilts. And then we ended up going to the FDA, um, which was also another serendipitous thing, um, because I just called up the FDA because I realized that they were the ones that controlled the drugs. Mm -hmm. And I ended up (laughs) I ended up uh, being able to speak to Dr. Janet Woodcock, who's the second in command in the FDA. But I didn't know. I didn't wow. even know who to ask for, yeah. right? And no, seriously. Yeah. And so um, she ultimately set up a meeting where Ina May and Marsden and myself and some other people, lawyer for the foundation, et cetera, all met with her in D.C. Because um, what we were asking for was a medicine guide. And a medicine guide is um, comes with a legal mandate <coughs> to be placed in all of the, in this case, OBGYN offices, giving you the risks, the benefits, and the alternatives of the drug. It's specifically for one drug. So it's an informational piece that encourages um, conversation Mm -hmm. between the doctor and the mom. Well, long story short, after four years, they denied us, we had a petition, and they denied us um, the medicine guide, but what they did do is they put an alert about the drug in um, being used in labor and delivery on their website, and it specifically said this is what you know. This is all the things that happen, or some of the things actually that that can happen if you use Cytotec during labor and delivery, um, and it's not approved by the FDA for labor and delivery, which was a big piece. Yeah. So it's on there. We publicize that, but they basically left the PR to us because unless you're an FDA gook, you wouldn't even know to go on air and look at right, it. Right. So, right. But it's there and we do try to get it out um, along with the original letter that the drug company wrote um, in 2000 
uh, Cyril specifically designating about 12 really horrendous um, side effects up to and including death of the mother and death of the child when Cytotec is used in labor and delivery. And they specifically said in that letter that they sent to over 200,000 OBGYNs, do not give this to pregnant women. Wow. Um, and that was the drug company. Yeah. So obviously they had whatever cats, dogs, mice die, female pregnant mice mm-hmm. die when um, they were testing it for ulcers, which is what it's supposed to be used for. Um, so, yeah, so we, we try to publicize that stuff. And since then, um, since then, we've uh, put together a documentary called uh, Tasha's Story, mm-hmm. Life to Death in Hours, which basically says everything I'm saying right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, puts forth our, our three basic premises of the foundation in the mission, which is to reduce maternal mortality, specifically among African-American women and women of color in the U.S. to not use Cytotec, you know, for labor and delivery and informed consent and the the off-label use of drugs, specifically during labor and delivery. Because Cytotec eventually, I honestly believe, will not be used for labor and delivery um, somewhere down the road. Mm -hmm. And... But they'll come up with something else because yeah. Cytotech is very cheap. It's very fast. You know, they've been using it since 1999 in the U.S. OK, other places have been using it longer and it's killed a lot of women, which is the only way because it's used off label that they figured out to not give you a whole pill, just give you a quarter pill. Yeah. And the different modes of um of administration. So they give it to you orally, they give it to you anally, they, in Tasha's case, they gave it to you vaginally. And because, because nobody in the U S is going to agree to be part of a study, they don't even have studies, NIH studies on what happens because it's too expensive. There's too much recording and they have to tell you, you know, possible death of the mother, death of the child, uterine rupture, you know, all these things. Um, nobody's going to agree to do it. So they have little itty bitty studies. And even with the little itty bitty studies, they still, they always say Cochrane report, Lance, I don't care who you read. It always says, um, you know, more research is needed. However, ACOG goes ahead and uses it all the time. Mm -hmm. And most of, most of the reports of adverse effects are not reported to the FDA, which is why we have, a newer petition out, which is now uh, going on two years old that they haven't responded to yet, um, asking them to do a centennial study, which means because they have access to many, many hospitals, electronic records, mm-hmm. anybody that's given Cytotec for their induction, whatever the outcome is, it goes in their record and that goes immediately to the FDA. So the FDA, it's a research gathering thing, but they haven't yet said that they would authorize the centennial study on Cytotec for inductions, which is ridiculous, but that's where we are. Got it. Got it. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of really good work. Um, And, and I mean, I, I learned about, um, your foundation from my my doula training, um, in that we did watch Tasha's um, the documentary, 
Um, oh, wow. And, you know, it passed and then we were reconnected. So I'm, I'm so glad that that connection happened again. But um, the work that you do, that you're doing is so important um, and so powerful and so needed. And I'm wondering, I mean, you know, have you found that um, in my head, I think about like, it's easy, it's cheap you know, the way that women are treated in maternal health, but specifically women of color, are you finding that a lot of women who are given this are women of color? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely in my doula work, Mm -hmm. more women of color are given Cytotec. And I tell my clients, you know, if I have enough time with them, which means anything more than two days, you know, if you're... um, if they're telling you you need to be induced, you ask them what it is. If they tell you side of check, tell them, no, here's the information. Go look up some more stuff. So not many of my clients get tricked into, you know, taking side of check. Yeah. There are a few. Yeah. Okay. But 99% of them are African-American or women of color. But that's true in terms of inductions and all the interventions. Yeah. I mean, the statistics for women of color in interventions um, in inductions, definitely in maternal mortality and infant mortality are way higher yeah. for women of color. Yeah. Way higher. And it's yeah. all based on racism. Yep. And I knew you were going to say that, but I just wanted <laughs> to come directly out of your mouth <laughs> to yeah, affirm no, that that is, is. the case. Um, and you right. hit the nail on the head that it's, it's racism. Um, it is. And so and it, and actually is, historic pitifully Mm -hmm. historic from from day one all the experimentation Mm -hmm. i mean just just the whole division of how white people are administered medicine and have always been administered medicine in this country and people of color yep always which is the reason for the disparities yep yep absolutely yep absolutely and so it's so important that we share st- these stories and your work and get make sure that our community is informed of of what's happening to us and our bodies um, and our families from this. Um, so, you know, how can the community pr- um, provide support or get involved with the work that you're doing in the in the work of the foundation? Well, actually, um, the work that I'm doing is basically identical to the work of a lot of um, doula collectives of women of color. Mm -hmm. And now, because in this last year, there's been so much media attention on the disparities in maternal mortality, even some white doula collectives um, and organizations, for instance, Kappa, you know, had a conference this year um, and one of the focuses was was the disparities in maternal mortality. And so we were there with the film, but there was some, you know, some other things. They had a big, big exhibit on the granny midwives. And so they were very slowly looking at the surface mm-hmm. of, you know, what's, what's really going on. Um, there's a big ball of information and explanations in terms of the disparities in maternal mortality and infant mortality based on social determinants of health, Mm -hmm. which of course are all based on the racist nature of the medical institution. 
So you, they, the white institutions will just leave it for the most part at the social determinants of health. Well, they don't have access to medical care. Oh, they don't have enough good food. Oh, they live in the community and they can't get to the whatever, whatever. Um, yeah, right. But all that goes back further to, you know, a much more basic foundation. And so in terms of doula support, um, the best thing I would say, and, and doula collectives are doing this, mm-hmm. is really getting as much information to the moms as they possibly can, because our missions are very generic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're specific, but they're very generic. Informed consent, off-label use of drugs. I mean, it's nothing that's uh, only we can spearhead. So yeah. all of the doula collectives and all of the organizations, you know, I would love it if Dona, which is, you know, 112% white, you know, if they would, you know, focus on those issues also mm-hmm. nationally, internationally, wherever, you know, a lot of the midwifery organizations they do. And even ACOG, amazingly enough, and I don't know if it's due to the media or what, has slowly been creeping, very slowly been creeping into more of a midwifery model of care. Mm-hmm. Where at big organizations like Kaiser, they don't call it centering, but they have meetings with all the moms you know, that are due around the same time and they talk together, not as much as a midwife would, but the fact that they're even looking at that, you know, and now they don't, you know, wash the baby with antiseptic soap after the baby's born and let the cord, you know, stop pulsating until they come. Just little things that they've always said, you know, they don't do. Now they're starting to do, you know, skin to skin right after urging breastfeeding, things like that. But then again, it's on the individual nurse, you know, and the individual uh, policies of the hospital and the OBs that determine how much of that really gets to the moms, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think people are, are doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the support piece is just so big, you know, with with anybody that's pregnant, but specifically with women of color, because historically, you know, there's so much distrust, um, which yeah, <laughs> which has been been earned for yeah. really good reasons. Yeah, you know, between people of color, low income people, and the medical profession. Yes, because absolutely. we're always treated like second-class citizens or not even. So, you know, I mean, all of that is, it's so the, it's so deep. Yeah. uh, You know, that it just, you just have to keep, you know, pushing forward. And now, you know, with, with people recognizing global warming and some people being able to see the effects of it, anything that happens to the earth happens to your body. So when you can't breathe the air and you're pregnant and you can't go outside or you have to wear a filter in the house or whatever, and you're supposed to get exercise, you know, and you live in a 500 square foot cubicle mm-hmm. and you have to get to the store that doesn't even have good food because, I mean, it just yep. goes on and on. Yep. Yep. So every, every little piece is really, really important. And I don't think there's one specific answer um, every angle has to be attacked and whatever, 
you feel is your passion, air, water, food, birth, interventions. That's what you need to focus on because the, the biggest thing I think is people who are really passionate about doing whatever they're doing, not just, you know, doing it for a certain period of time. I mean, people that are really passionate are going to do stuff even past their retirement, you know, up until the day they can't do stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you really hit on some good things that one, it, it has to come from every angle of, of providing that support, but also that, you know, <laughs> many of us as birth, birth workers and birth workers of color know what the work should be and what the work should look like and how it should be done. Um, and right. have been are doing it and have been doing it. Um, it's the more mainstream, larger, predominantly white um, organizations that we're waiting to catch up, listen to us, support us, <laughs> so that we can do the work. Um, and you know, leaving that mindset of like we need to be saved. No, you need to just listen. Exactly, <laughs> and, and you know, Jenny Josephs in Florida. And common sense childbirth Mm -hmm. is the most perfect example I can think of because whoever comes to her door, she takes in, she does whatever has to be done. And she will tell you, you know, basically bottom line, she just loves them up during the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so many women, you know, I mean, every pregnant woman, I don't care, rich or poor, needs that, you know, period, Mm -hmm. just to be loved up. And of course, immigrants, whatever, you know, the majority of the people in the world don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going through this experience by himself. So, and Ginny has the best statistics ever. Yeah. Just by, by giving women whatever, whatever they need. And if they can't pay, they get it anyway. Yep. (laughs) Yes. And, And, you know, it really is true. What goes around comes around and they eventually, you know, either pay it forward or pay her some kind of way, you know, back to the barter system. I do that a lot with my clients, you know, whatever, cook me dinner, I'm good, you know, Um, because that's what birth is all about. That's what life is all about. And if you, if you come into the world, you know, in warm, welcoming hands, instead of bright lights and, and stainless steel equipment and, whatever that thing is called, that's supposed to sterilize your body before a section, you know, that orange stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're, if really, if you're brought into the world in a loving, soothing, calm situation, that's the way you're going to walk. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's the way you're going to walk. And right now, well, always, but especially right now, that's what we need is millions and millions of people, you know, walking from their heart mm-hmm. and dealing with other from their heart regardless yeah well is there anything else you want to share with listeners resources advice anything else from Tasha's birth oh my god (laughs) there's so much there's a lot I'll just make a plug for the website there's Mm -hmm. a lot on the website Um, resources articles um, information about different all kinds of different stuff. And that's www.tasha, which is spelled T-A-T-I-A dot org. Um, there's some interactive stuff on there also, but pretty much um, 
just go online. I mean, if you're pregnant, just go online and Google Jenny Josephs, Google Marston Wagner, Google Ina May Gaskin, Google Claudia Booker, Google Michelle Lawler, um, you know, midwives of color, doulas of color, and you will find everything that you need, mm-hmm. um, which will lead you, thank goodness, to the Internet, to other things that you can also Google, you know, in terms of childbirth, natural childbirth. Childbirth is the most natural process in life next to death. And the veil between them is very thin. Mm-hmm. Um so we come from the spirit world and go back to the spirit world. And if the spirit and the soul of the human being, both human beings, the one that's on the inside and the mom that's carrying her is what we're focusing on, then um, that'll be a beautiful birth, beautiful pregnancy, and welcoming a beautiful new human being into this really crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you um, so much for giving us your time and sharing Tasha's story and for the work that you're doing. Um, Sorry. I'm just incredibly grateful. So um, thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you you for doing this because that's all part of it. When you ask, well, what can we do? You're doing what you can do. The more the word gets out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's exponential. So I totally appreciate what you're doing and appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you again. And to our listeners, um, thank you for listening to us. And if you found that you connected to any parts of today's show or are interested in more stories, please subscribe and let us know what you think. If you missed any parts, we'll definitely have them in the show notes at birthstoriesandcolor.com. And as always, thanks again for listening and joining our community today. Again, thank you so much, Maddie. Okay, thank you. Have a good one. Take care, you too. Bye-bye. Today's programming is in partnership with French 22 Design and Creative Strategy, a design studio focused on brand development and creative strategy aimed at connecting with people who are committed to social impact. For more, visit www.french22.com. Allow French 22 to find purpose in your project today at www.french22.com. That is F-R-I-N-G-E 22.com. For sneak peeks of their work, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at French22 Studio.